Okay, we're in lesson six, so let's get we'll, we'll get progressing right along here. We are looking at the defense of the gospel, and as you've seen, Paul is trying to address that their understanding of the gospel has been messed up because these Judaizers, these so-called Jewish Christians, are coming in and saying, "Well, you know, in order for you to be truly accepted by God, you got to do all this extra stuff," and Paul's saying, no, you can't do anything to gain God's acceptance. You have to, you basically have to just trust in Jesus alone for what he's done. There's nothing you can do to gain your acceptance with God. But you remember last week we talked about the traps we fall in? Well, if I don't do my devotions, if I don't go to church, if I don't give, I'm not going to be accepted with God. Let me just stop for a moment. I mean, in fact, some of you are going to wrestle with this. I asked you to pray about... I asked you to pray about what you could give towards Haiti next week. Ask God about that. Now, here's what some of you do. You'll say, well, God, unless I give, you're not going to accept me. Wrong. That is not the gospel. You don't give to be accepted. You give because you're accepted. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't do anything for God to gain his acceptance. The acceptance is already there. He loves you in spite of you. Do you understand what I'm saying? So this is what Paul's trying to get them to understand. So let's look. We're looking at verse 15 through 18. He's going to talk about the priority of the promise over the law. So let's look at verse 15 through 18. Brethren, I speak in the manner of men, though it is only a man's covenant, yet it is confirmed. No one annuls or adds to it. Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds, as of many, but as of one. And to your seed, who is Christ? And this I say, that the law which was 430 years later cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before God in Christ, and that it should make the promise of no effect. And if the inheritance is of the law... It is no longer of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by a promise. Now, okay, we're going to explain what's going on here so that you understand what I just read. First of all, he's going to give us a practical example. Paul uses an everyday example of a human contract to illustrate a point. So he's going to use a human contract here. The Bible refers to it as a covenant. So you understand, when we talk about a covenant, we're talking about a type of a really special type of contract. So he's going to talk about the covenant between Abraham and God. So he's going to use this everyday example here. Now, here's what he says. With a human contract, one cannot change its terms when it's been ratified. Now, I understand today in our world, you just got to have a good lawyer and you can't. But back then, you couldn't. Once it was, you, 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 you signed a you dealt with a covenant, you made a covenant, you couldn't change it. All right, you couldn't change it. So, with a human contract, one cannot change its terms once it's been ratified. Now, here's the nature of the contract, the nature of the promise to Abraham. Paul points out that the promise was given to Abraham and his seed. Paul points out that the promise, now remember what the promise was, is that through him all the nations would be blessed. Remember, we talked about that last week. That through Abraham, 
all of the nations would be blessed. Now, who's all the nations, folks? Us, Gentiles. Basically, all the ethnicities will be blessed. So here's what he's saying. Paul points out that that promise was given to Abraham and his seed. It was given to Abraham and his seed. Now, here's what he's going to do. He's going to make a point about the term seed here. Paul stresses that the seed refers to Jesus Christ, not many people. Because here's what the Jewish Christians were saying. Abraham's promise is for us Jews. Paul's coming along and he's a Jew and he's saying, nope, that's not true. He didn't say many seeds. He said seed. Now let me explain something to you. When I say seed, could it mean plural? Could it mean many? Yes. But it also could mean what? One. And see, this is what Paul's saying. The term seed here refers to one. And who's the one referring to? Jesus. Okay? So Paul stresses that through his seed, who's the seed? Jesus. All the nations would be blessed. Okay? And that's true, isn't it? All right? Let's go on. So he's going to talk about the superiority now of the promise over the law. Because remember, these Jewish Christians are stressing that it is the law that needs to be kept. doesn't matter what the promise was. It's the law that needs to be kept. All right? Now here's what he's going to say. Paul explains that the law came 430 years after the promise. So the law that they're pushing didn't come about until 430 years later. Isn't that interesting? Now can you can, stop for a moment? We can't even comprehend what 430 years is. How old's our nation? That's two and a quarter, I believe. 1976, you know, it's been, oh, now it's been more than that. It's been like 34 years now. It'll be 30, 234 years. That's not even half the time that they went without the promise. That's how long they were in Egypt. And they had the promise. So first thing he's going to point out, he said, you know this law that you guys are touting, that you're saying is it, we got to keep the law? Here's what he's saying, guys. That law didn't come about until 430 years after the promise was given. That in, through this seed, the nations would be blessed. Now here's what he says. He goes on. The law cannot annul the covenant that God established with Abraham. Okay, now you say, huh? what do you mean, annul the covenant? Well, if you think back in your mind to Genesis, God made a covenant with Abraham. And here's what he did. Remember he told him to take a heifer, a goat, and, and certain animals, and then he was to cut them in half and lay their, you know, lay, you know, one side over here and one side over here. And sort of like a, what they would do is, is they would have a, like a, a space. So you put one, one half of the animal over here and one half of the animal over here. And usually it was on a slope so that the blood from those animals would run down in between those animals. So like if there was a ditch right here, you put it on the side and let it run down to the ditch. Now what they would do in that day is this. When you made a covenant, so let's say I make a covenant here with Rob. Rob, come on down here, I need your help. Come on. If I'm going to make a covenant with him, like he and I are neighbors and we're going to share a watering hole, Rob, I want you to stand right over here. We're going to share a watering hole, and we're going to make a covenant that we're going to share this watering hole. We would cut these animals. We'd place them on the side. The blood would run down through it. Then here's what we would do. We would 
under this covenant, and walk towards me, Rob, we will walk to the middle, right here, through the blood. Then here's what I would do. I would take off my shoe, my sandal, which is bloody, and he would take off his sandal, and he would give me his sandal, and I would give him his sandal, which is stained with the blood. You understand? And then I would wear his sandal, and he would wear mine. I hope you got size 12, buddy. Uh, 11. I'm hurting then, okay? All right, going back. And, and so here's the thing. And so I would always be remembering that covenant because of the shoe I'm wearing. Now, here's the thing. In Genesis, in that account, you can go back and read it yourself, Abraham does that, and he watches over the animals because he knows he's going to be making a covenant with the living God. Now, here's what happens. The Scripture tells us that a deep sleep came over him. And in the sleep, he sees God come down through the animals in a covenant towards Abraham. Because that covenant, that promise he made, wasn't based on who? Abraham. It was based purely on God. So the whole promise, the whole covenant that he made, that through his seed, through Jesus, we would be blessed, had nothing to do with us, my friends. The whole acceptance with God had nothing to do with us because it was based purely on who? Who's the one who made the covenant? God. You see what I'm saying? So here's what he's saying. So here's Paul. He's saying, now hold on a second now. Guys, wait a minute. You're trying to tell me that some law that came 430 years later is going to null and void the covenant that God made himself? And they're going to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can anything null and void God's covenant? No. Do you see what he's saying here? Do you see the argument he's making here? Okay, so let's go on. So here's the implications. Here's the implications. The law and the promise are opposite in nature. You understand what I'm saying? The law and the promise are opposite in nature. The promise is, is that through Abraham, his seed, Jesus, would bless the nations and give us salvation. They would be accepted. The law says you need to do all these things in order to be accepted. And even the Jews couldn't do all those things. So what he's saying is, is that the promise and the law are opposites. Now here's the thing, problem, Christian. Listen to me, my friends. How many of us live by the law? Trying to gain our acceptance with God. You didn't do your devotions this week. You didn't, you didn't pray an hour. Or five minutes. You only read one verse, not a whole chapter. You maybe didn't read anything. You can't give this week because times are tough at home. Oh, I must not be accepted with God. My friends, is that the promise or the law? The law. You see the bondage we get into? Let's go on now. Here's what he's saying. Here's the other implication. An inheritance comes as a fulfillment of, the, of a promise, not a law. An inheritance comes as a fulfillment of a promise, not a law. So, okay, let's say uh, some of you here have a rich Uncle Bill, all right? 
And, you know, he made his money wherever. You don't know where. He, maybe he made it in gas wells or whatever. He just invested it wisely. But he's got a sum of money. And through the years, Bill tells you, now, boy or gal, when I pass on, it's all yours. Now, what's he doing with you? Making a promise. So here he is. He, he dies. Lawyer calls you up and says, hey, I've got your inheritance from Bill. And it's sitting in my office in a lockbox. Are you going to get it based upon your actions? You're going to get it based upon what? The promise. So you go on down there. They, there it is. They say, here's the key. You open it up. And, and there it is. All that money except it's the Confederate bills. It means nothing. Okay. Never mind. Okay. Bad, bad, bad example. Okay. Here, now, here's what I'm saying. It's a promise. You get your inheritance because of a promise, not because you, quote, did something. Although some people like to say, well, I'm writing you out of my will. That's because to them it's not a promise. It's based upon what? Law. But what here he's saying for the purpose of what you and I understand here in the Bible is, the inheritance we have in Jesus comes through what? Promise. Not through the law. You see what I'm saying? It doesn't come through what you do. All right? Let me just stop for a I've got to qualify it now because some of you are going to say, well, man, I can do whatever I want to now. No, I didn't say that either. Because if you truly know him, you're not going to want to do what put him on the cross. You understand? All right, let's go on now. Let's look at the purpose of the law. So, okay, so, if, so what's the purpose of the law then? So he's going to go on and tell us. Look at verses 19 through 22. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would not have been by the law. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. Okay, let's look at a couple things here. First of all, the question. Paul addresses the question concerning what the purpose of the law is. So you're, like, you're saying, okay, well, what's the purpose of the law then? If it's not for me to gain acceptance, what's its purpose? Alright, now here's what he says the purpose is. First of all, the law was given to expose and punish sin. The law was given to expose and punish sin. You know, that's even true of civil law. Here's the thing. You know, I that 25 mile per hour speed limit sign here in town, here's what it reveals about George. He's a sinner. You understand what I'm saying? It's like the great poet Sammy Hager once said, I can't drive 55. I'm learning to. You understand what I'm saying? But here's what I'm trying to say to you. What does the law do? He's saying the law reveals that there's something bad in us. And it needs to be punished. So it exposes and punishes sin. So let's go on now. Here's what else he says. The law was in place until Jesus would come. The law was in place until Jesus would come.
Now let's go on now. Here's what he says. The law was given through a mediator, Moses. Now here's what the Jews actually believe. They believe, you know, we read the scripture and we see that God gave the law to Moses. But the Jews actually over time had developed a concept that believed that the law was given to Moses through angels. I, I don't know that I can grasp that, especially when the passage says that he met face to face with God. All right? So then, now here's the nature of the promise. Mediation requires the involvement of two parties. So when you got Moses, there's two parties involved in mediating. So they had this mediator, Moses, Moses who would mediate between God and the people. All right? So mediation requires the involvement of two parties. Now here's the point that Paul's making. God was the only one involved with the promise that was given. Remember what I shared with you about who was it that came down through the channel of these animals in the blood? Who was it? Was it Abraham? God. He was the only one involved. There weren't two parties involved. It was God. Here's the powerful thing. Let's go back to that illustration here. Listen to me, folks. Do you want to know why you're accepted with God? It is not because of this. It's not because of what you did or didn't do. It's not because of who you are or who you're not. It's not because of how much you know or don't know. It's not because of how big your fat your bank account is and how skinny it is. Do you understand what I'm saying? It is not because of us. It's because of who? Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your acceptance with God has nothing to do with you. Let me ask you something. Some of you who are married here. I already know the answer to this one because I feel like I'm in a normal marriage. Are there times where... I know it's hard to believe that no one would accept me, but are there times you think that Lori does not accept me on certain days? I, I, you know, we're normal, probably... You know, I do some things that she she doesn't just doesn't accept, like leaving my underwear laying around or whatever, you know? Isn't that true? Aren't, isn't that, aren't there days when your spouse does not accept you because of certain behaviors? Are there days when you accept what your children are doing? Here, here's what I want you to understand. All of that is based upon what? What I'm doing. Because that's the human way of viewing it. You understand? That's the human way of viewing it. Now, that's not how God sees it. You could be having a bad hair day, and He still loves you. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the point He's making here. God is the only one involved with the promise that was given. Isn't that a freeing thing? He's the only one. Let's go on now. Here's the relationship of the law to the promise. Paul stresses that the law and the promise are not in conflict now. Well, they're opposite. They're not in con conflict. How are they not in conflict, George? Here. Here's what the law does. The law shows that the world is in bondage to sin. The law shows that the world is in bondage to sin. Because remember what I told you about the speed limit sign and that it reveals something about, you know, that I, I can't drive 55 according to Sammy Hager? Remember when I said that? 
What does that reveal? It reveals that George ain't a good guy. Given the chance, it's the hammer down. Did you understand? And some of you, you're, don't judge me, because some of you, I've watched you drive too, okay? All right? So, here, here's what I'm trying to say to you, though. But here's the thing. I'm personally responsible for George, and what does the law reveal to George? I'm a sinner. I'm not good. Okay, let's go on now. Here's what it says. The law exposes the need for faith in the promise. Here's what the law does. It shows me that I've got to put my faith in something else, because I can't put my faith in myself. I gotta put my faith in something else. I gotta put my faith in Jesus because I can't put my faith in myself because given the right circumstances, I'm gonna mess up. Now, let me just stop for a moment because we do this in Christian circles. Oh, have you heard about so and so? Have you heard about so and so? I can't believe they did that and we wag our fingers at them and everything. You know what the Bible tells me in this very same chapter over in Galatians 1 that I need to go to that brother in Christ and deal with him in meekness and gentleness, recognizing what? I could do the same thing. Here's the situation, my folks. Don't ever hold anybody in judgment because given the right circumstances and the right situation, you could do the same thing. I could do the same thing. And let me remind you of something. When, if I, when you hear people say, well, I would never do that. What does Paul say? Take heed, lest you fall. What is it? Pride comes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. That's what Proverbs says. When you hear somebody say, I would never do that. And look, and I've met some good Christian men who said that, who turned around and divorced their wives and went after somebody young. But they would never do that. What does that tell you? They're wicked. They're wicked. We're wicked. The law exposes our need for faith in Jesus. Now, let's look. We're going to look at uh, three more verses and talk about faith over the law. Look with me at verse 23 through 25 so we can finish this lesson. But before faith came, we, kept, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for faith, which would afterward be revealed. Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under the tutor. Here's what he's saying. First of all, before the coming of Christ, the law protected believers. Here, let's go back to my speed limit thing. There's a reason why it's 25 in town, isn't it? What would town be like if it was 100? Chaos. You think people would be getting hurt? You better believe it. See, the law is a protection. Let me just stop for a moment. Some of you think that God is a cosmic killjoy just wanting to set all these rules up so that you don't have a good time. You've got a wrong view of God, my friend, because here's the point. When God sets boundaries in our lives, He always does it for our own good. Because He wants to spare us from hurt and pain. So the law may reveal how bad I am, but the law is there also to protect me. You understand what I'm saying? All right, and then the final point is this, and here's what we're going to close with. The law served as a tutor to prepare us for faith in Christ. Now you say a tutor. A tutor is somebody that helps you to understand. Yes, the law helps me to understand how much I need Jesus. You understand what I'm saying? 
The law helps me to understand how much I need Jesus. So, for instance, let me give you an example, and I'll close with this. This is probably, oh, it's been more than 10 years now. Probably 12 years ago, I'm pastoring a church. We're in a storefront, and uh, I feel God is saying to me while I'm speaking, you need to go visit this fella in the front row with his wife. Not in the front row, there were two rows back, because they're Baptists, nobody sits up front. And, and I put it out of my head. I'm, okay, I'll go visit him, Lord, and I keep preaching. Service is over. At the door, his daughter, who had been coming to church, says to me, you think you could go by and visit mom and dad? Okay, it's a confirmation, Lord. You want me to go see them. So I go see these folks, and they had been going to church all their life, but it was a, an Anglican or what we would call an Episcopal church. And I go with them, and I realize these folks don't know Jesus. They're not saved. So I talk to them about their need for Christ. And he looks at me and he says, I have never sinned. Now, I, you're probably wondering, how do you talk to somebody who's never sinned? So I try different things. I try to say, okay, let's say we have a scale here, you know, and it, uh, it's really good down there, really bad here. Where would you put the certain people? And I, over here is really good, it's close to God. And, you know, and, and I said, okay, so, uh, you know, where would you put Adolf Hitler? Oh, man, he's really bad. Or where would you put Sodom Hussein? Okay, you know, where would you put Billy Graham? Oh, man, he's really right down there. Papa Paul, all the way down there. And where would you put George? That's always an interesting one to ask where they put you. And uh, so then I say, well, you know, the Apostle Paul says he's the chief of sinners, so he's down here. And it still wasn't getting with him. So somehow in our conversation, we were talking, I said, we know Jesus said that even if I have thoughts in my mind, it's like my actions. So I said... If, you, if, if you've ever lusted in your heart after another woman, Jesus said, you've committed adultery with her, you've sinned. And then he looked at me and he said, his eyes got big, and he said, I've sinned. <laughs> and here's the thing, I had the privilege of leading he and his wife to the Lord that day. Two years later, I would call and I'd say, Frank, do you remember when I was there? And he'd say, yes. And he said, thank you. You know, that's it. Why? Because the law, what does it do? It teaches us that we need who? Jesus. Faith. This is the point he's making. You understand what I'm saying? This is the point he's making. So, when that speed limit sign's calling you to do, you know, <laughs> you just realize, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus, right? All right, let's uh, let's close our town prayer and get ready for the morning worship service.